The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar He closed his investigation, and a few weeks later the trial commenced. It proved to be slow and tedious. The judge was listless, and the public prosecutor presented the case in a careless manner. Under those circumstances, Danegra's counsel had an easy task. He pointed out the defects and inconsistencies of the case for the prosecution, and argued that the evidence was quite insufficient to convict the accused. Who had made the key, the indispensable key without which Danègre, on leaving the apartment, could not have locked the door behind him? Who had ever seen such a key, and what had become of it? Who had seen the assassin's knife, and where is it now? In any event, argued the prisoner's counsel, the prosecution must prove beyond any reasonable doubt that the prisoner committed the murder. The prosecution must show that the mysterious individual who entered the house at three o'clock in the morning is not the guilty party. To be sure, the clock indicated eleven o'clock, but what of that? I contend that proves nothing. The assassin could turn the hands of the clock to any hour he pleased, and thus deceive us in regard to the exact hour of the crime. Victor de Nègre was acquitted. He left the prison on Friday about dusk in the evening, weak and depressed by his six months' imprisonment. The inquisition, the solitude, the trial, the deliberations of the jury combined to fill him with a nervous fear. At night he had been afflicted with terrible nightmares and haunted by weird visions of the scaffold. He was a mental and physical wreck. Under the assumed name of Anatole Dufour, he rented a small room on the heights of Montmartre and lived by doing odd jobs wherever he could find them. He led a pitiful existence. Three times he obtained regular employment, only to be recognized and then discharged. Sometimes he had an idea that men were following him, detectives, no doubt, who were seeking to trap and denounce him. He could almost feel the strong hand of the law clutching him by the collar. One evening, as he was eating his dinner at a neighboring restaurant, a man entered and took a seat at the same table. He was a person about forty years of age and wore a frock coat of doubtful cleanliness. He ordered soup, vegetables, and a bottle of wine. After he had finished his soup, he turned his eyes on Danègre and gazed at him intently. Danègre winced. He was certain that this was one of the men who had been following him for several weeks. What did he want? Danègre tried to rise but failed. His limbs refused to support him. The man poured himself a glass of wine and then filled Danègre's glass. The man raised his glass and said, To your health, Victor Danègre. Victor started in alarm and stammered, I, I, no, no, I swear to you. You will swear what? That you are not yourself? The servant of the countess? What servant? My name is Dufour. Ask the proprietor. Yes, Anatole Dufour to the proprietor of this restaurant, but Victor Danègre to the officers of the law. That's not true. Someone's lied to you. The newcomer took a card from his pocket and handed it to Victor, who read on it, Grimaudan, ex-inspector of the detective force. Private business transacted. Victor shuddered as he said, You're connected with the police? No, not now, but I have a liking for the business and I continue to work at it in a manner more profitable. From time to time I strike upon a golden opportunity such as your case presents. My case? Yes, yours. 
I assure you it is a most promising affair, provided you are inclined to be reasonable. But if I am not reasonable? Oh, my good fellow, you are not in a position to refuse me anything I may ask. What is it that you want? stammered Victor, fearfully. Well, I will inform you in a few words. I am sent by Mademoiselle de Sinclèves, the heiress of the Countess Dondio. What for? To recover the black pearl. Black pearl? That you stole. But I haven't got it. You have it. If I had, then I would be the assassin. You are the assassin. Danegra showed a forced smile. Fortunately for me, monsieur, the Assise Court was not of your opinion. The jury returned a unanimous verdict of acquittal. And when a man has a clear conscience and twelve good men in his favor, the ex-inspector seized him by the arm and said, No fine phrases, my boy. Now listen to me and weigh my words carefully. You will find they are worthy of your consideration. Now, Denegre, three weeks before the murder, you abstracted the cook's key to the servant's door and had a duplicate made by a locksmith named Utar, 244 Rue Oberkampf. It's a lie. That's a lie, growled Victor. No person has seen that key. There, there is no such key. Here it is. After a silence, Grimaudan continued. You killed the countess with a knife purchased by you at the Bazaar de la République on the same day as you ordered the duplicate key. It has a triangular blade with a groove running from end to end. That is all nonsense. You're simply guessing at something you don't know. No one ever saw that knife. Here it is. Victor de Negra recoiled. The ex-inspector continued, There are some spots of rust upon it. Shall I tell you how they came there? Well, you have a key and a knife. Who can prove that they belong to me? The locksmith and the clerk from whom you bought the knife. I've already refreshed their memories, and when you confront them, they cannot fail to recognize you. His speech was dry and hard with a tone of firmness and precision. Danegro was trembling with fear, and yet he struggled desperately to maintain an air of indifference. Is that all the evidence you have? Oh, no, not at all. I have plenty more. For instance, after the crime, you went out the same way you had entered. But in the center of the wardrobe room, being seized by some sudden fear, you leaned against the wall for support. How do you know that? No one could know such a thing, argued the desperate man. The police know nothing about it, of course. They never think of lighting a candle and examining the walls, but if they had done so, they would have found on the white plaster a faint red spot, quite distinct, however, to trace in it the imprint of your thumb, which you had pressed against the wall while it was wet with blood. Now, as you are well aware, under the Bertillon system, thumb marks are one of the principal means of identification. Victor de Negro was livid. Great drops of perspiration rolled down his face and fell upon the table. He gazed with a wild look at the strange man who had narrated the story of his crime as faithfully as if he had been an invisible witness to it. Overcome and powerless, Victor bowed his head. He felt that it was useless to struggle against this marvelous man. So he said, How much will you give me if I give you the pearl? Nothing. Oh, you're joking. You mean I should give you an article worth thousands and hundreds of thousands and get nothing in return? You will get your life. Is that nothing? The unfortunate man shuddered. Then Grimaudan added in a milder tone, Come, Denegre, that pearl has no value in your hands. It is quite impossible for you to sell it, so what is the use of your keeping it? 
there are pawnbrokers, and, 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 and someday I'll, I'll be able to get something for it. But that day may be too late. Why? Because by that time you may be in the hands of the police, and with the evidence that I can furnish, the knife, the key, the thumb mark, what will become of you? Victor rested his head on his hands and reflected. He felt that he was lost, irremediably lost, and at the same time, a sense of weariness and depression overcame him. He murmured faintly, When must I give it to you? Tonight. Within an hour. If I refuse. If you refuse, I shall post this letter to the Procureur of the Republic, in which letter Mademoiselle de Sinclèves denounces you as the assassin. Denegre poured out two glasses of wine, which she drank in rapid succession, then, rising, said, Pay the bill and let's go. I've had enough of the cursed affair. Night had fallen. The two men walked down the Rue Le Pic and followed the exterior boulevards in the direction of the Place de l'Etoile. They pursued their way in silence. Victor had a stooping carriage and a dejected face. When they reached the Parc Monceau, he said, We're near the house. Parbleu! You only left the house once before your arrest, and that was to go to the tobacco shop. Here it is, said Denegre in a dull voice. They passed along the garden wall of the Countess's house and crossed a street on a corner of which stood the tobacco shop. A few steps further on, Denegre stopped. His limbs shook beneath him and he sank to a bench. Well, what now? demanded his companion. It is there. Where? Come now, no nonsense. There, in front of us. Where? Between two paving stones. Which? Look for it. Which stones? Victor made no reply. Ah, I see, exclaimed Grimaudan. You want me to pay for the information. No, but I'm afraid I will starve to death. So, that is why you hesitate. Well, I'll not be hard on you. How much do you want? Enough to buy a steerage pass to America. All right. And a hundred francs to keep me until I get work there. You shall have two hundred. Now, speak. Count the paving stones to the right of the sewer hole. The pearl is between the twelfth and the thirteenth. In the gutter? Yes, close to the sidewalk. Grimaudan glanced around to see if anyone was looking. Some tram cars and pedestrians were passing, but they would not suspect anything. He opened his pocket knife and thrust it between the twelfth and thirteenth stones. And if it is not there, he said to Victor, it must be there, unless someone saw me stoop down and hide it. Could it be possible that the black pearl had been cast into the mud and filth of the gutter to be picked up by the first comer? The black pearl, a fortune. How far down, he asked. About ten centimeters. He dug up the wet earth. The point of his knife struck something. He enlarged the hole with his finger. Then he abstracted the black pearl from its filthy hiding place. Good. Here are your two hundred francs. I will send you the ticket for America. On the following day, this article was published in the Echo de France and was copied by the leading newspapers throughout the world. Yesterday, the famous Black Pearl came into the possession of Arsène Lupin, who recovered it from the murderer of the Countess Dandio. In a short time, facsimiles of that precious jewel will be exhibited in London, St. Petersburg, Calcutta, Buenos Aires, and New York. Arsène Lupin will be pleased to consider all propositions submitted to him through his agents. 
And that is how crime is always punished and virtue rewarded, said Arsene Lupin after he had told me the foregoing history of the Black Pearl. And that is how you, under the assumed name of Grimaudan, ex-inspector of detectives, was chosen by fate to deprive the criminal of the benefit of his crime. Exactly. And I confess that the affair gives me infinite satisfaction and pride. The forty minutes that I passed in the apartment of the Countess Dandio after learning of her death were the most thrilling and absorbing moments of my life. In those forty minutes, involved as I was in a most dangerous plight, I calmly studied the scene of the murder and reached the conclusion that the crime must have been committed by one of the house servants. I also decided that, in order to get the pearl, the servant must be arrested. And so I left the wainscot button... It was necessary also for me to hold some convincing evidence of his guilt, so I carried away the knife, which I found upon the floor, and the key, which I found in the lock. I closed and locked the door, and erased the finger marks from the plaster in the wardrobe closet. In my opinion, that was one of those flashes of genius, I said, interrupting. Of genius, if you wish, but I flatter myself it would not have occurred to the average mortal to frame instantly the two elements of the problem, an arrest and an acquittal, to make use of the formidable machinery of the law to crush and humble my victim and reduce him to a condition in which, when free, he would be certain to fall into the trap I was laying for him. Poor devil. Poor devil, do you say? Victor de Nagre, the assassin. He might have descended to the lowest depths of vice and crime if he had retained the black pearl. Now he lives. Think of that. Victor de Nagre is alive and you have the black pearl. He took it out of one of the secret pockets of his wallet, examined it, gazed at it tenderly, and caressed it with loving fingers and sighed, as he said, What cold Russian prince, what vain and foolish rajah might some day possess this priceless treasure? Or perhaps some American millionaire is destined to become the owner of this morsel of exquisite beauty that once adorned the fair bosom of Leontine Zalti, the Countess Dandio.'" 